Well, as I mentioned that we will be focusing on the value of belonging this month. That's what we want to talk about. So we'll focus on that just a bit. God has created us to be relational beings. And it's a well-known fact, and research does show that we grow and develop as balanced people and grow even more whilst connected to others. Nobody is an island. Nobody can grow on their own. People use different terms for this. Some call it we thrive better in community. Or we can say we thrive better when we are connected to others. And this is where, as we grow up, you realize that uh, we all have a need to belong. Everybody wants to belong somewhere. I remember in my teenage years, you know, in our area, there, there's a gangster that, uh, that cropped up and that all of us young guys belonged to. We used to call it maskutus. I don't even know what that meant. And, you know, if you were not a gangster, you didn't feel like you belonged somewhere. Everybody wants to belong somewhere. And the same applies to a church. We want to belong, we need to belong, and we grow much better when we are connected to others. These connections, we can call them small groups, connect groups, life groups. In our case, we call it cell groups. And for the purposes of our lesson, I will use the term cell groups, which of course will include small groups, connect groups, and live groups. One of the important observations we made as pastors during these two years of lockdown, as we couldn't have church services in the normal way that we are used to, is that people who belonged to cell groups were sustained despite the disruptions to the usual Sunday service church attendance. And because they belonged to cell groups, when we needed to get in touch with them, we could. Because you know some people, their phone number changes every month. How many of you know people like that? Can I see your hands? How many of you are sitting next to somebody like that? right? And, and so when it says the, the subscriber is not available, at least we knew that through somebody in the cell we could trace them. There was a time when we had to distribute uh, uh, aid and food to the people. And this was during the hard lockdown. I think we were on level five or something like that. And I tell you, the only way we could get to people was through the cell groups. Because they belonged. Because the, the danger of belonging to a large ministry in a big church is that you can be in the crowd, enjoy all that happens, never get connected. And when something happens to you or your family, nobody might even know. Because you are all alone. And so it's important for us to be connected. These cells that we are talking about. And we noted that many of the people, as a matter of fact, it's something that most of the leaders, as we talk to them, 
In many parts of the world, they said, that's what kept their congregations going. We had something very interesting, a report that came from people who are, are the underground church. And as you know, there are many parts of the world where the church cannot operate publicly like we can, but they're like an underground church, and they are there in little, small communities, connected in cell groups. And, uh, and one of the leaders said, the people in the underground church were, were, were surprised at all of us when we said our inability to go to church on Sunday inhibited our worship and affected us. They said, what are you talking about? We are not able to meet, but we're meeting in these small groups. And I, and I thought that was quite an interesting observation, that the church, much as we might not be able to meet this way, which is the most, you know, it's, a, it's ideal, but for us to be sustainable and to be there and not be disrupted, it can only happen when we are connected to somebody. We need to be in cells. Let me read you a letter that was written at the height of this two-year lockdown by a young leader of a starting church, and he addressed this letter to an experienced senior leader, and this senior leader had a thriving church. Please be aware I'm going to keep their names and their identities anonymous, uh, but I want to read you the letter, and these are true letters, this is true interaction. Here's the letter from the young leader, okay, and I've changed the names there. Dear senior leader, our current crisis are leading churches to develop all sorts of new technology to evangelize as well as minister to their own congregations. Streaming, Zooming, drive-in church, online preaching and teaching, online church and self-taught Bible studies will mostly likely outlast the current epidemic. In other words, the church will have a different look in days to come. From your perspective, what is the most important lesson for us to learn from all the shuffling through crisis? Sincerely, young leader. So here's the response from the elderly leader. Dear young leader, the greatest lesson I see is that we don't lose the importance and significance of small groups. The stay-at-home church has several advantages, especially during times of pandemic. But on the other hand, it has a serious problem with developing face-to-face -face relationships which are essential for spiritual growth and personal ministry. Signed, sincerely, older leader. And so we note that being involved in cells and connecting on a smaller level, on this intimate level, connect groups, life groups, connecting with somebody, it's something that will move us forward as God's children, and there's many advantages which we will talk about towards the end of the message, and we need to know that. Now, we use the term cell groups simply because we know from biology that the body is made up of cells, and cells are the basic unit of life. And so we say if we have a healthy cell, and at that level, at the basic unit of life, if we can do ministry or do life together at that level, then the whole body will be well. Because as we said, the cell is the basic unit of life. If you take a group of cells, they form a tissue. If you take a group of tissues, they form an organ, like the liver, the heart, and so on. If you take a group of organs, they form a system 
For instance, you have what we call the nervous system and all other systems. And if you take the systems and put them together, they make up for the whole body. So the whole body as it is, you can divide it up to its smallest living unit. The church is the same. Even if we beat in this way and we have all these activities, really if you were to divide us up into our barest minimum, if you can use that expression, it is when you can bring us to that level of a cell. And so it's important for us to understand the importance of cells and to be involved in cells because cells, number one, are the smallest living body component. When you read in Acts chapter 2 verse 46, you note how the believers who belong to this mega church, I mean, if you look at the, at the early church, the way it grew, I mean, you know, you have the 120 people in the upper room praying, the Holy Spirit coming down, and then through Peter's preaching, 3,000 getting saved. Later on, 5,000 getting saved. That's about 8,000. That's just a nominal figure. And, and, and this church is just exploding, and there's just these thousands and thousands of people. They didn't just stop there. The Bible tells us there in verse 46 of Acts chapter 2, it says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now note, they broke bread in their homes. So these people visited one another in their homes and it says they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So what they did was, it wasn't just a big meeting, you know, the mega meeting. It wasn't just the stadium or the large church gathering. The people in the book of Acts, they met together in smaller setups, in smaller groups, in cell groups, live groups, connect groups, G12, G11, whatever you want to call it. But they met in these small groups and they did life together. So we know that the cells are the smallest living body component. We know that cells react to stimuli or stimulus, you see in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, how in their coming together, you know, there was this incredible life that happened and a move of God that happened among them. We know as well that cells are there to transform nutrients to energy. What do I mean by that? And what does, how does that apply to us in cell groups? Well, it's at a cell group wherein we take what we've learned, not only on Sunday, but what we're learning in our walk, what we're reading in the Bible, and we make it, turn it into practical reality. You only learn to live the Christian life with other people around you as you sit around God's word and make it practical. James 1.22 says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. You know, it says at a cell level and in, at this level where you learn, because you live with others, they know you, they see you, they can advise you and so on. You know, as a young Christian, Basalana, uh, uh, I had a major problem of lying. I, I used to lie. <laughs> and I know you are surprised by that uh, because you never lied, but I, I used to lie. I'm, I tell you, I used to lie. You know, have you ever lied to a point where you believe your own lies? Come on now, don't give me that innocent look. Have you ever done that? You know, where you can lie to a point of driving your point with tears. You know you're crying and you're convinced that it's true and you're crying. And then I used to lie. And one of the people who helped me was a close friend of mine, Kenneth. 
because he would catch me lying. And I used to wonder, how does he know I'm lying? Until I found out he used to be a professional liar himself. You know, so, so you know, it, 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 was, it was in doing life with somebody like this that I was rehabilitated from, from the lying. So, you know, when you live with other people, you learn how to live the Christian life in a practical way. This Christian life is a journey. See, we come to Christ, you know, raw as we are, with all kinds of issues, all kinds of problems. All of us have got issues. Yeah. They just differ. All of us. You know, that woman with the issue of blood, she was sick. We all gula at different levels. It's just that we just, we just differ in intensity. But you see, as we do life together, we help one another on this journey. All right? And then we also know that cells reproduce. In Acts 2.47, you see how the church grew. You know? But, you know, it is in when, when, when in a cell, what I like is this. You can reach out to people, get them to be saved, and not only do you reach out to them and they get saved, they know Christ, there's also retention. Because you're in this small setup, you know, people follow you up, they, they help you read the word, they teach you to pray, you're there among the people. In a crowd like this, see, people can respond to Christ and after the service, even if we do follow up and so on, if they're not connected, it becomes a big problem. One of the major, major uh, helps I got as a young Christian when I became a Christian in 1978 is to belong to a, a, a Bible study. It was a small group of us, young people who came to a Bible study that was conducted at Youth Alive by Jeremy King, and we would sit there together and on Wednesdays and have a Bible study. So we started connecting to one another, you know, and 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 because you know somebody, you know, if you are not there, they phone you and find out why didn't you come? Is there anything? Can I come and fetch you? And so on. So once you get saved and you connect in the cell, there'll be a definite way in which you're going to stay. You're going to be part of the group. The church can grow like that. As a matter of fact, our church that is in Midrand now, that started in Sunning Hill, started through cells. Yeah. I mean, of all our churches, that was among the fastest growing churches ever. I mean, in all the history of our church. You know, when we started the church, we used the German club. They were just, you know, I don't know, I think about 100 people or, or 120 people when we started. And in a short space of time, we were 300. And before we knew, we were 500. Before we knew, we were 1,000. Before we knew, we were just growing. And, and then we bought a place. Now we have our own church building there. But it was because of the cells that were there. Can I hear a good amen from somebody? Amen. amen. So it's quite important. And then we also know that cells have, cells perform additional highly specialized functions, right? So in a cell, when you read it in accordance to Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, the Bible talks about how each, the body grows as each part does its work, its work. It's in a cell group where people learn where they are gifted, where they are anointed, and where they can serve. Because we give people an opportunity to serve. And people can be able to serve in line with their gifting, their talents, their calling, whatever term you want to use, and they're able to serve that way. 
So this model of these small groups, these cells, is something that we read about in the Bible. Because the Bible, for, to a large extent, when you read throughout the Bible, you see how there is this connectedness among people. And even in the Godhead, for instance, we see in the Trinity, from the beginning of creation, God has presented himself as a triune God, a God who is in community. Although the Bible doesn't explicitly, doesn't even use the word Trinity, we use that as theologians, but you find all of this in Genesis 1.1, in Luke chapter 1, God says, let us make man in our image. So we observe that it is this three persons, one God, it's the axis between the three persons of the Godhead. We see God the Father, the one who sustains, and from whom we all derive our purpose. We see on the other hand, God the Son, the one and the only redeemer of mankind. And then we see God the Holy Spirit, the one who enlightens us, the one who comforts us, who sanctifies us, the one who guides us and leads us. The three persons of who are one holy God are intertwined throughout creation. They're intertwined in saving mankind from his fall, intertwined in the work of redeeming us. So this triune God in the oneness of deity or the plurality of persons, we see the Godhead interdependent in relationships. This is what happens in a cell. We are there as different people, different giftings. We are there from different backgrounds. We grow together. We work together. We are interdependent in what we do. And in that way, we're able to do much work. And we see our God changing the world, giving us hope, this timeless God that we are serving, changing our lives and working in harmony as community. Then we see a second example of Noah. Think about Noah and the group that he was with, group of seven. God was grieved with the wickedness that he saw on the earth. We read that in Genesis 6. God says, I'm going to wipe up the whole earth. I'm going to save you, Noah, and your family. And so Noah and his three sons find favor in the sight of the Lord. And God puts them in an ark. Just think about them all cramped up in this ark with all the animals and everything. And God takes Noah and his family to start once more. Start from scratch. Start creation again. And so we see Noah and his group, they were chosen by God as this chosen community, a small group that God strategically placed on earth for God's perfect purposes. In the same way, a cell group in a place can be there, the small group of people who God can use to start a church in that area. Or God can use to reach out to the community in that area. God working through just a handful of people. You know, for God to do his work, he really doesn't need many people. He just needs a handful of people with willing hearts. And I believe you are those handful of people with willing hearts. And God is able to do that. What about Moses? Moses, after he took the children of Israel out of Egypt, we see Moses loaded up with the responsibilities of leadership. And he's, I mean, he doesn't know what to do. And he is totally overloaded. 
He's feeling exhausted. The people are feeling frustrated. And finally, Jethro, his father-in-law, advises Moses in Exodus chapter 18 and says, look, let me give you advice. Select men who are there, who are God-fearing, capable leaders, appoint them to be leaders of groups. Let them put people into groups. Groups of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let, let them have these groupings of people and let them lead. And this is where we get the term here, delegation, and the principle of delegation, which many people call the Jethro principle. And we know how when they formed these groupings and they were able to come together in connectedness, they were able to be able to do what they were supposed to do. Now, the one I like is that of Daniel. Many of us know about Daniel. We know historically in 605 BC, this young teenager Daniel, along with several of his friends, became victims of the first exile. When they were invaded, they were transported into Babylon, and Daniel and his three friends, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, whom we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came into Babylon. Now, here they are in a foreign land wherein they are being challenged in their worship of God. But you see, these three young men, because they were in a cell or because they were in community, they could be able to stand up against the culture of the day. Because, you know, sometimes to be able to live out your Christian life is not so much that you are strong yourself but that you have other people who journey with you at that time and you are connected with those people because it is their presence that helps you. I mean, even this time that we're coming from, I, I, I can tell you, many of us were able to make it through because we are connected to somebody. Because there are days when you really didn't feel like doing the things that you should do. But we see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They experienced the Spirit of God enabling them because they were in community with each other. They had this healthy, small group. And I advise young people, get into a good group. Befriend people who are of the right spirit. Connect with people who will help you go further in your walk with God. Or otherwise, it becomes a major problem. What about our Lord Jesus Christ? It's amazing to note how our Lord Jesus Christ, even before he could preach any major sermon, he started first of all by choosing the 12. That was his priority. Before he could do ministry on an extensive level, he started first of all by choosing 12. And he chose these 12, spent time with them, traveled with them, delegated them. It was his small group. In fact, it was this group of men that Jesus gave training. He built around them accountability. They learned by watching Jesus. They shared in leadership responsibilities. Jesus gave them an on-the-job training. And he would evaluate them. He would give them feedback. He would debrief them. At times, they would be slow learners. At times they would have fear. They would be doubtful. They, just, they, didn't get the, they didn't give Jesus the responses that were necessary. But Jesus, in spite of that, filled this man and made sure he trained this man. Imagine when Jesus went up to heaven, 
He left the destiny of the gospel and the mission of God in the hands of these 12. And you and I, thousands of years later, here we stand because of a group of men who were in a small group, who were in a cell group. And, and if it was not for them being in a cell group, I wonder how effective the teaching could have been. Jesus gives that example. And there's no reason why we cannot follow in the same footsteps. Now, as I close, let me give you benefits of cells, all right? Benefits of cells. I'm not going to complete them because there's 10 of them. I'll just give you a few, and then I want to make my closing remarks. Number one, as we said, it promotes the most effective method of evangelism. You know, mass evangelism, what has been found is that doing mass outreaches, mass evangelism where we go to a stadium, we pitch a tent, and we preach to thousands of people and people respond, the retention of those people who respond to Christ, who get saved, is very low. In fact, if I remember well, the stats are standing at about 30%. They say if you can retain 30% of those people, you've done very well. And most of these mass evangelisms, as much as it's good and it's proper and it should be done, are quite expensive. And it's a lot of work that goes into it. However, you can reach out to somebody that you're connected to and win them to Christ. Very easy. One-on-one. We call it relational evangelism. And the good thing about that is that because you already are connected to them, once they've made a decision for Christ, you take on the responsibility of helping them grow in the things of God. So retention is, is very high. And, and so in the cells, this is where we ensure people get saved, they come to know Christ, and they are retained. This is important. Number two, people are empowered in small groups to do more than they ever thought they could do. You know, there are many people who have such great potential. But, you know, until you challenge them or give them an opportunity to do so, they just never realize they have what it takes. I remember in this small group I was talking about at Youth Alive, when I was first given an opportunity to preach. I, I, I never forget that day. You know, they, they, in this youth club, we were assigned, we had a theme, and we were, we were using an acronym, uh, WATCH, W-A-T-C-H. Is that how you spell WATCH? Am I right? W-A-T-C-H, yeah, WATCH, yeah. So we were using that as an acronym to address several things from the Bible. So, you know, watch. First of all, W, watch your words. A, watch your action. T, I think it was your tongue. C, I don't remember what it was. So, so, so they, they, then I was given the responsibility to address the, the W, watch your words. So I was first up, you know, on this series that we were doing because that was going on over a number of weeks. And, and so they gave me I remember they gave me a Bible dictionary and some concordances, and I'm going to prepare a message. I, I mean, I've never preached before. I don't know what I'm going to say. And I'm going through this, and I remember preparing and whatever, getting up on stage. I was so afraid that day. I'm still afraid. It's a little better now, but, but my goodness, I was so afraid that day. I stood in front of people. The room was spinning. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? <laughs> I know some of you are very confident. You just stand in front of people. Your problem is not talking. Your problem is to stop talking. You know, I stood in front of people. 
And, and, and I, had, I had worked hard. I think I'd, for the whole month I was preparing, kind of. And, uh, and there I stood. And, 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 and for those of you who are like me, if you freeze when you stand in front of people, let me give you advice, all right? I can show you my notes, all right? You must write everything that you're going to say. In case you start being dizzy, just look at your notes and just start reading out. You know, it's very, very easy. It's very easy. So I stood there and I started. That was my first experience of public speaking. But you know, that happened because I was given an opportunity in a small group. So, so better practice on the five people than collapse in front of the 50,000 people. Anybody know that? Yeah, so, you know, in a cell, we give it a chance. So, anyhow, we'll go through some of the points, but let me conclude uh, with these points here, please, because we need to give you some kind of uh, direction. First of all, please be aware that our cell groups, as it stands, we haven't yet allowed them to operate because we want to make sure we give proper direction and proper protocols, right? Uh, 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 we used to have ourselves in people's houses. Now, people, you know, different families have different concerns. There are some families that feel, mm -mm, I can't let people into the house. And the corona. Like people say corolla. You know, corolla. You know, excuse me. So, if it is that you are no longer or your, your circumstances have changed and you are unable to host a cell group in your house, please do not feel bad to say, I'm not able to anymore. All right? We want people to be free. We don't want people to walk around in condemnation. All right? So, but cell groups will be in, not only in houses. We are thinking of also neutral venues. Right? Like, you know, there's a one church I know uh, in West Africa, I visited this church and, and, and this pastor told me, said, people in our communities don't have houses. We have many, many homeless people. They sleep, they actually sleep on the streets. Yeah, and they come to church on Sunday, many of them. He says, we have cell groups and because people don't have houses, you know, after the church service, people meet in different corners at the church in their cell. I thought, that's cool. So just imagine after the service, you meet with your three people there, five people there in a corner. The issue is to connect. Do you understand what I'm saying? The issue is to be in a cell. So some cells will have them in neutral venues. In some instances, we heard about people using technology. You know, we use technology. You know, if you're on, if you're on the same WhatsApp group, uh, you can all call each other and talk on WhatsApp. And WhatsApp calls are a little cheaper than the other ones, you know. So I didn't know that. I found that out recently. Tell the truth, some of you, you didn't know that. Don't give me that look now. You know you didn't know that either. Also, in some areas, as we said, we will use the cells to start churches there. But we're going to give clear guidelines on the protocols to be observed. And remember, for you to lead a church, you need to have been trained. To lead a cell, you need to have been trained in our cell group training. Please, we don't want people who are going to just start things. There's no accountability. There's no teaching. There's no direction. And things are done in the name of the church that are not properly done. So people need to be trained. And then cells also will be, can be diversified. I mean, you can meet as people. Maybe you are the 
what, what do you say? Maybe you are the same age group, for instance, or you have the same interest. Maybe you are, you are people who, who run. Maybe you, you people who are runners. Or maybe, maybe you, are, you, you are dealing with the same situation. You have people in your families, as we heard the announcement, who are dealing with substance abuse. And you can connect like that. So we can connect as different people. Maybe you are newly married couples. Just five of you, you can have a cell, you know. So we can diversify these cells, all right? And so in the light of how much the pandemic has changed how we do everything, be aware that we will therefore be constantly re-evaluating our strategy when it comes to cells so that we can always adopt the best practice. But my challenge to you this morning is that belong somewhere. It doesn't help not to belong. Belong somewhere, be accountable somewhere, be connected somewhere, because it is in being connected with somebody that you can grow and develop more in your walk with God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you today for this opportunity you give us to be connected. And our prayer is that we will not walk alone because you haven't created us to be beings that are not connected. We thrive more, we grow more when we are connected with others. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide every one of us in these connections. Guide us even as a church as we start all over again with ourselves that people can be connected again People can grow again, and people can be accounted for again. We thank you and we honor you. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed, please. If you're here today and you've been in this service, and during the time of worship and praise and preaching, you sensed in your heart that your life is far from God, and you want to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus can come into your life, change you, and make you a child of God, forgive you of all your wrongs, all your sins. And you want to make that commitment right now. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed, please. Nobody moving around. And you need the prayer right where you are. Would you raise your hand, please, if you need the prayer? I'll pray for you right where you are. Just raise it up so that we can pray together. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you over there. All right. God bless you over there. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. God bless you. God bless you. Can I ask the people who raise their hands? Would you just stand on your feet where you are, please? I want to pray for you right where you are. Just go ahead, sir, please. Send your feet. There's someone here. There's a lady here. God bless you. Someone at the back there, just stand on your feet. Don't need to be embarrassed. You can put your hands down. Just stand on your feet. Don't need to be afraid. You know, we say this in, in the church. The church is the place we come to. This, where we are now, this is the place where we bring our lives before God. And everybody here understands that. We're here to ask God to assist us in our lives. And I'm going to ask, as we all stand on our feet right now, 
All those people who are standing, if you can just make your way to the front. I want to pray for you in front here. Take your Bibles, your bag. Don't leave anything of yours behind. Just walk to the front. The ushers will open. Shall we all stand on our feet, please, as they walk to the front?